0: Welcome to The War Room. Ryan here, as always. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you like this show, could you share it with a friend, family, coworker, whoever that you might think enjoys this podcast today? We'd really appreciate it. Bruce, welcome to The War Room. Thanks for having me. Okay, you obviously have a long history in this space. You've got a new book out, A Hacker's Mind, How the Powerful Bend Society's Rules and How to Bend Them Back. I was watching one of your talks last year, which was it was quite crafty. I think you um the title was What's Coming Next or How That Will Work or something like that. It was some kind of throwaway title that you used because you said you weren't sure where the world would be. Um, but you went through this this mentality of of AI and hacking and and what's coming. And, and of course, as we're recording this, chat GPT is storming the internet. So it's it's an interesting time in this space. First Take me back to kind of what got you interested in this um, when you first started your career because it probably wasn't as sexy back then if I
1: had to guess. No, it was because back then it was secret codes. Nothing sexier than secret codes. So, you know, my career has been a series of generalizations. I started out in cryptography, doing math, and then generalized to more computer security with the rise of the internet, internet security, general security tech. I wrote books on the so, sort of the sociology of security and trust. I've written about the economics and psychology. My latest books are very much in public policy. I'm teaching here at the Harvard Kennedy School, so I'm actually teaching cryptography to people who deliberately did not take math as undergraduates, <laughs> which is its own challenge. But really, I am, you know, trying to understand the world through the lens of security, and this is an adversarial attacker-defender system, subversion, hacking. Uh, mentality. So it's always been sexy. It's always been fun. There's never been a boring part. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, forgive me, Ben. Um, Also, to keep in mind, I am like a simpleton. So for the simpleton standpoint now, it's kind of like, oh, I can see and taste and experience this thing. And so um, it's a little bit more accessible for folks like me. One of the questions as I've looked at some of this more advanced technology over the over the past few years is, you know, how do we measure what it's actually doing, right? So you can take about a car and you can measure horsepowers or miles per hour or gallons, but you look at like something like a, um, an AI program. How, how do people like you understand what it's doing? Is it simple as just reading the code or does it get beyond that? and makes it a little bit more tricky to understand what it is doing.
1: You know, it's even worse than that because it's could be impossible to understand, but but you you touched on it when you talked about a car. So if I tell you the m p g of a car, do you understand the car? No, you have no idea how the engine works. you have no idea what's going on. I'm just giving you a couple of figures that you can use to compare cars, mm-hmm. and the reason you use them because so we've told you they matter, like I don't give you the you know. The rate of the windshield wipers moving water off the right, because that's not a measurement that we care about, but you know, it might be. So, we understand complex systems through measurements that tell us stuff we need to know, and that's related to how the system works. So, that works with cars. Right, you know, I can tell you the tire pressure, and that that's interesting. Or I can tell you the miles per gallon, or I can tell you something about something else about uh, the fuel efficiency. Maybe the range, the size of the gas tank. And when you get to much more complex systems, it's the same idea, but the measurements get a little more tenuous, a little more arbitrary. And a lot of the times, we understand systems by looking at their output. I, mean, you, we understand, I understand a car because we know what it does. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a mechanic. I don't know how the engine works. Open it up. It's a bunch of metal stuff, and it's greasy. But I know what it does. I know how to make it do something. So that's my understanding. It's superficial, but it is, in a sense, profound because it's how the car interacts with society. And when you get to an AI system, it's not going to be much different. You're going to open up the hood, and it'll be completely opaque. And this is this – is, even true for experienced uh, software programmers. AI systems are opaque, no one understands how they work. But we can measure its output. Is it producing the right results? Is it biased? Is it racist? Is it accurate? Is it fast? What data is it using to to learn? How well is it learning? Is it getting smarter? I mean, I I can kind of conceivably imagine measuring these sorts of things And that's how I'm going to know if it is fit for purpose, whatever the purpose is.
0: Okay, and and so there's three things here that that I want to see how they fit together. So you talk about measurements, right, so miles per gallon or or whatever, or is it fast? But then you said, is it biased or is it racist? And you you, you said one more, but I could write it down. Okay, so I think we can all generally agree on how to measure um, miles per gallon per hour, miles per gallon, or whatever the measurement might be. We said biased. That's a perspective issue, right? Um, what, how someone determines if you have a bias, when you can see a bias, um, how it's impacting how you determined it. So how, how can we evaluate whether or not the AI is biased? Because from two different people's perspectives, two humans' perspectives, um, one might not think it is biased, one might think it is.
1: So no different than how we measure people. So you're right. There are different definitions of fairness, and they are contradictory. So before we have any definition of whether the is fair or biased, we need to agree. You know what our measurement is, and it might be that uh, you know for a police department that you stop and frisk people of different genders at the same ratio, or different uh, races. That uh, or maybe we're going to look at uh, arrests, or we're going to look at different types of arrests, or where you're deploying police. these are all human, no AI, right? And and, and we in the US are actually really good at determining if a human system is racist or sexist or biased in some other way, right? Biased against uh, uh, people with different abilities. We know how to do that. We've been doing that for decades, in some cases uh, over a century. So we can do that. And it's not by, you know, I don't go to a police uh, officer, open up their brain and check their code, right? I, I look at what they did. The Los Angeles Police Department is known to be racist, and there's a consenting order, and, and judges have forced them to do things, and it's all by looking at the output. So we're going to do the same thing with an AI. We're going to look at the output. So Amazon had an AI that was, making, uh, was screening resumes, and it turned out that it wasn't hiring any women. Right. So so it is biased. We know it's biased. We know it by the output. That was that was a pretty egregious and and obvious. There's more subtle biases. But there's an entire industry now of figuring out, uh, you know, if a system is biased. But you are right. It starts with a definition. Hmm. What is fair? And there are different definitions depending on circumstance. And you're right. People might not agree. But without a definition of fairness, you can't judge a system against it.
0: Yeah. And so this analogy, you could be the expert here. You might be familiar with this. I had some chess people over at my house, I don't know, three, four months ago, and they were talking about um, some chess system that plays, I don't know, some kind of AI tech. And essentially the, the way that the, the, the algorithm ran was it moved upon, I think on the outside the outside of the board, it moved upon up um, at a different pace than historically had been considered to be the best way to play. So I, if that's right or wrong, we'll assume it's true for the analogy purposes. And ultimately, Um, they were saying that that's actually people are now studying that go, oh, wow, we never thought about playing it that way. Okay, so when AI examines this, and I've heard you talk about some of this as well, it's going to interject or ask, I don't know if ask questions is the right term, it's going to ask questions and look for things that perhaps we didn't look for. So how, so let's go back to the example, and I have no idea about this Amazon thing, so we can unpack this maybe. How do we know, um, and we don't, I'm not, Obviously, arguing for discriminatory pra- hiring practices, but how do we know that the the, the bot is it or the AI tool isn't actually screening for something else, and it just happens to be appearance of gender? So, how how do you how do you make that determination? Because I can see the concern going, oh, it's only hiring men. Okay, that's a problem. But if we put, I don't know, college degree, masters, or or something like, so how do you then go? Well, yeah, it, it, it's seeing something here that we should examine, or it's
1: not. This- the same way we do with humans, right? The law is clear on this. This is not a new space. If a human was doing the hiring decisions and it only hired men and didn't hire any women, there'd be a lawsuit and there'd be a judge that would figure that question out. And this has happened again and again and again and again in society, with races, with genders, with age, with all sorts of biases, right? Is the system biased? or is it doing something else that is legal that has the result of bias, or is it doing something else that is legal with the result of bias, and that bias is itself illegal? Because it turns out that a lot of those proxies end up being against the law. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, no different if an AI does it. There will be a human system that will look at the output and then make a decision just like we do in human cases. So the point is not that this is an easy problem, but this is a problem we have a lot of experience solving. Right. Like, we know how to do this. We in society have had all of these hard cases already. Right? The, the, someone sues the bank and the bank says, I'm not discriminating against race. I'm just using uh, income and job type and this, and this is what it comes out. And it's not my fault. And in some cases, the court says, well, "I guess you're right." Some say the court says "You are wrong. that is your fault, and you can't do that. Okay. So it won't be any different.
0: okay so on the other end of the spectrum, um you have talked about the tax code and how AI might be used to think about the tax code and try to try to oh, manipulate the right word but maximize it. Um, what would be the some of the examples that you could give for the for folks like me this is a loophole that maybe the tax code uh, that, that, that an AI system might deduce and go, Oh, hmm, I never thought about it. If you buy this and sold this and then package it over here, all of a sudden we've got a tax deduction that we never, we never found before.
1: So this is interesting. I talk about this in my book a lot. This is the idea of an AI finding new hacks, new loopholes. So, I mean, there are lots of tax loopholes that people use. The Carrot Interest Deduction has made the news in the past year. There was the double Dutch Irish sandwich that companies like Google and Apple used to evade taxes for many years. There's something in Europe called CumEx Trading, which is a loophole that allows a company to get double the refund for a single trade. Now, these are all legal, right? These are not fraud. These are loopholes. These are mistakes. These are ways that the law was was miswritten, really, and someone discovered it and is using it to their advantage. So these are human discovered. What I postulate in my book is the notion that an AI could do independent discovery, because all of those loopholes I mentioned were discovered by human accountants, reading through the tax law, looking at the details, thinking about how different laws interact, finding the the loophole and then exploiting it, right? At at human pace, human system. AIs are good at doing that sort of thing. And you can imagine an AI being tasked with the same the same goal. Here's all the tax laws of the US, for the world, I don't know, find loopholes. And will it find new ones? Almost certainly. How many will it find? We have no idea. But will the effects be? We don't know. But sort of an interesting thought experiment of taking a human creative process and, and a tedious one, right? One that involves a whole lot of tedium looking at the details of the laws, which is the kind of thing a computer's good at. And then figuring out how things fit together, pattern matching, also something computers are good at. In order to get a desired outcome so i don't think we're there i mean the stuff i'm saying now is still science fiction but i don't think it's far off
0: yeah i mean i would think that if you're a government hearing this you might go okay hey let's get obviously you said it's a little bit far off but um you could see governments using this to tighten the the um the tax code if you will but then could a counter ai come in Look for other loopholes, like oh, totally. <laughs> it's
1: always going to be AI versus AI. That's that's our future, certainly. <laughs> and yes, right. You you could easily imagine this being done in the defense. It's being done with computer code today. So there is uh, there are AIs that look for vulnerabilities in software, right? There's vulnerabilities that are used to attack Windows and other programs, and they're used by the offense and by the defense. And right, when the defense finds them, they can patch the code. So certainly, you can imagine a government uh, using this kind of system to find vulnerabilities in its tax code and then patching them, right? R- rewriting the law. Although it is harder. You know, if you are Microsoft, it's super easy to patch your code, right? You write a patch, you push it out on second Tuesday of the month, suddenly everybody has the new code. If you are a country and you want to patch your tax law, that, that's a hard process. In the US, it could take years. So it, it, it's not the same human system but yes that is definitely the way to think of it
0: what about um l- large scale and it, it might be easier just to actually hack a system but i'm curious if you if you were to i don't know the coca-cola recipe I, I don't know something that 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 theoretically over time there's been enough interviews and enough talks about that theoretically if you could take all that and put them into a system and then spit out the Coca-Cola recipe or the, the keys to four knocks or I don't know about like that. Is that where we're also hitting that people have to guard what they say publicly because the AI system could take that much information and process it and come up with some high um, probable
1: uh, outcomes. It's interesting. So what you're talking about is known as open source intelligence. That can we look at things people say in public and put a lot of them together. Like, so it, it, if you hear enough telephone numbers, you can recreate the phone book. If you're listening to everybody who says, hey, my number is this, my number is that, eventually you can recreate the phone book. That's kind of what we're talking about here. Now, Coca-Cola, probably less likely because you know people aren't speaking it, but maybe, right? There could be purchase orders for ingredients and and there'll be things you can look at. So yes, kind of. Because what we're seeing here, I mean, where we're postulating, is an AI that can like read through all of the information, pulling out what's important. And AIs are really good, repetitive, and boring. And there's nothing more repetitive and boring than listening to everybody's, everybody's conversations. <laughs> so I think there are going to be some things that, are, that, that can be found using AI open source intelligence. Some of it's going to be through reverse engineering. I know the recipe for uh, the Kentucky Fried Chicken herbs and spices was reverse engineered, and and there are websites you can get like you want to make a Twinkie or any of those like you know classically secret recipes. Uh, I think that more things will become known through this ability to ingest an enormous amount of conversation and written material and stuff. And then distill knowledge from it. So, uh, where that actually goes, we don't know. Are
0: we about to enter the age of mass propaganda then? Like, because that would seem to be...
1: Are we already in the age of mass propaganda?
0: <laughs> well, I, that that was the way I asked it the way that I did. <laughs> like, is it going to get worse? If you're afraid that, you know, some bot somewhere, some AI can sit there and just scrub through all your stuff, that you're going to be less
1: likely to tell the truth, I suspect. So it's interesting. I, I think when you think about AI, look at places where a difference in degree makes a difference in kind. For example, ChatGPT. Right? ChatGPT can produce human sounding stuff. Now, I teach a class and someone can use ChatGPT to complete uh, their assignment. Now. That's a problem, but that's no different than any other sort of cheating or plagiarism, It's a different, but it's not really different. Uh, In politics, right, someone can use ChatGPT to write a letter to the editor uh, giving a propaganda position. Yeah, but a human can do that. That's not interesting, that's not different. What's different is when you can use a large language model to do that a million times, tens of millions of times, right? So instead of a letter to the editor, It is a million different tweets from a million different accounts. Uh, There's a professor here, Latanya Sweeney, uh, and she postulated the existence of something she called persona bots, which would be bots on, let's say, Facebook that act normal. Right? They have friends, they join affinity groups for knitting or model railroading or whatever, and they do – they're normal, but once in a while, they say something political. Do that times 10 million. And that's different. Because certainly people can do that, What well, I can join a model railroad uh, affinity group on Facebook and every once in a while I'll say, "You know, I like this candidate or I hate that policy. Mm. And that's normal. So replacing me with an AI isn't interesting, but a million, 10 million changes discourse. And you're right. We could be in a future if we not if we're not careful, where the public sphere is AIs they arguing with AIs, and like you know we just sit around and watch, and we get a very skewed view of what is uh, what is normal.
0: So you you might have an era an era of height more heightened mass propaganda. Are we then going to? The old days where we talk to humans again—is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting, right? So, how do you prevent that? So, yes, if I'm, you know, if I'm talking to you, you know, I mean, this is this is an audio podcast, but I'm mm-hmm. seeing you on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I don't know who you are. Maybe you're computer generated. I think you're not a bot. I hope I'm not. I hope you're not a bot. And <laughs> but you know, in five years, you might be. So, how do we deal with that? And actually, the answer is we don't really know. We don't have systems in place to recognize humans in these narrow communication pipes. And if we met on the street, it'd be many, many decades before you could be an Android that passes a human being. But in text, you know if you're if you're going uh, you know texting to your bank on their website, you're probably talking to a bot, at least initially. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If uh, voice, you're probably talking to a human, but in a few years, you might be talking to a bot. In video, a few years from now. And yes, we're going to have to figure out, and it might be labeling laws, and it might be prior relationships, it might be trusted introducers. We have to figure out how to separate the humans from the non humans.
0: Mm. Okay. And one other thing, um, as we kind of wrap up here. When I was hearing your, your, your talk, at least, um, you, you talked about, I think it was a hockey stick, you used it, uh, the analogy. Um, that kind of resonated with me because I've talked to my son who, you know, he's 15 plays sports. And I'm like, you know, I don't see how they can ever develop something that can figure out how to shoot a basketball while it's moving because of somehow the brain can do all this crazy math on touch and feel and motion and, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a computer that could do it, but it would take a lot because the, the way, I mean, it where are we with, with that? Because that seems to be well beyond, um, you mentioned a few decades maybe, but where are we with Android-type technology being able to replicate? It seems like it's, that's way too far out.
1: It's way too far. And really, I think our views of AI and robotics has been grossly misled by movies and television. Mm-hmm. Now, when we think of AI, we think of data from Star Trek, yeah. right? We think of R2D2 from Star Wars or maybe a Dalek, right? We have these views of this general purpose AI, this AI that mimics a general intelligence. I think it's very far off. I mean, like not in our lifetimes. And what we're seeing is the rise of specialized AI that are just do one thing. Right? You know, Chat GPT basically mimics the entire internet and produces plausible text, knowing absolutely nothing about anything, but you know can pretend, can, can fake it so convincingly that we're all fooled. An AI could be used to make classifying decisions. AIs are now really good at reading chest X-rays, for example, or they could be used to determine uh, whether you are a recidivism risk to put you out on bail, or whether you are a loan risk if we want to lend you money. I mean the AIs are doing this or, or to show you what you might enjoy uh, on Netflix or what posts you want to see in your Facebook feed. These are all AI, these are all AIs doing very specialized things.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I will no, say please. About Netflix. Yeah, let's about Netflix. Um, I don't know, last month, a few, few weeks ago, whatever it was, they had the Rocky series on. And so I was gonna go through and watch all the Rockies, watch Rocky one, Rocky Two. I get to the end of Rocky three, it says what you should watch next. And it wasn't Rocky Four. It was something,
1: it was something Sometimes un- it gets it badly wrong. It's Sometimes definitely true.
0: <laughs> so, but you are right. You can see how you get in there and you can tell if you've been watching a certain type of movie or show, it, it starts to change what it suggests for you. And it kind of feeds that. Oh, okay. Right. And like
1: and, and, t- and TikTok is probably the pinnacle of that right now. That TikTok, be- because unlike Netflix, which, you know, you watch a movie, it's, a, it's an hour and a half investment. TikToks are tiny so the the system can get a lot of information about what you want to see very quickly and it it very quickly uh will adjust what it shows you to what it thinks your preferences are the uh, new york times did a great article some months ago taking you know just basically blank tiktok slates and running them in parallel and seeing how they just moved in different directions based on what you what you watched what you uh didn't watch, what you click forward on. I don't, I don't use TikTok. I don't know how it works. But I think you either, you either watch a thing or you just fast forward to the next thing. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we're sitting here 10 years from now. Where Where are we at?
1: I don't know if we're much further on. I don't think I know if we're much different than today. And it's just, I mean, let's think back 10 years. Where were we? Were things that much different? I mean, not really. Things are a little bit different. But basically, we're still doing what we're doing. We're still muddling through. There's an internet that works really well. There's systems that seem magical. There are threats. There are uh, people taking advantage of things. I think we will see a lot more automation. Uh, you know, more sophisticated decision making from automatic systems. So we'll probably see uh, automatic systems that drive, or uh, you know, monitor the, the traffic lights all over the city to maximize traffic flow. Or I mean right now I have a very primitive system in my home that turns the heat on and off, depending on the temperature. Right? That's an automatic system. Right? That'll be a little more sophisticated. It doesn't need to be much more sophisticated, and maybe it knows the weather report. Hmm. Maybe I, we can probably do that today. Yeah. But so so I think you're gonna see more, you know, non-human agents making decisions that are of consequence. And that'll be both good and bad.
0: Yeah, we and, had on um a gentleman from the Wall Street Journal. I can't remember his name now. Um, and he and he was talking about um, Chinese surveillance, uh, good and bad. And one of the things they have over there is when the ambulance lights up, it, it it locks the grid. So basically, the ambulance can cut its drive time from home to hospital is to as short as humanly possible. And
1: so you know, you could you could see stuff like that being rolled out in big areas. I'm so sure. we have something like that. You know, we have it. That's called an Opticom. If you if you go look at a traffic light, there'll be a little thing hanging off the. Uh, bottom of the traffic light. And that detects the flashing lights of emergency vehicles and does turn the lights green in their direction, red in the other. So that is not China only. We do that as well. And that's not even an AI system. That's a kind of a dumb, recognizes a flash in a certain frequency and, and, and flicks the lights. So yeah, we will see more of that sort of thing because we can, and we in society kind of want to do it.
0: Okay, we're gonna to link to your blog, your current book. Do you have any other future um, um, books coming out or projects you're working on? We should. I following? just
1: published a book last week. Give me a break. <laughs> 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 I am right now between projects. Uh, I, after I finish a book, I kind of take up some time when I'm not writing a book, so I don't have another book in the works. And uh, I am, you know, I may, everything's on my blog, my essays, uh, my books, everything I write. So a lot of smaller pieces as I sort of decompress from book writing.
0: So I took that to mean that you are writing another book.
1: <laughs> uh, not right now. <laughs> not,
0: right, not right now, but you said between books, you take a break. So that, that as, as a, the AI bot would take that and go, Hmm, he said between books, it's not his last book. So we look forward to following your work in the future. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Hey, you made it to the end of this episode. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to ask a favor. If you enjoyed it, would you drop a five star somewhere? And if you really enjoyed it, would you consider becoming a subscribing member over at warroommedia.com? Helps keep the show going and ad free. Thank you so much.